You're listening to a Sunday morning message from Hope Church Frankfurt. If you want more information about our church, text HOPE23 to 55498. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We started a message series last week called Kindle. And uh, what we're talking about is having healthy relationships. How do you have healthy relationships? And what we're going to be talking about today is a little bit different. We're going to be looking at a couple. And they're Aquila and Priscilla in the, Old, or in the New Testament. And they're companions of Paul. And we're kind of going to be looking at their life and how they lived on missions. And my goal, like we talked about last week, is, hey, we don't want to live in bitterness and in unforgiveness or in hurt because offense will kill you and it will kill your relationships. Truly, I believe that. Offense will hurt you in every relationship that you're in. And as followers of Jesus, we need to choose forgiveness in our relationships and we need to kindle a new fire of health and healing in our relationships, not only with our family, but everyone that we encounter. What does Paul say? As long as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone, right? So today we're gonna shift gears. Like I said, we're gonna talk through this couple's story and we're gonna look at how they lived on mission for God. And, and as we kind of walk through, I wanna give you three specific examples that I believe they lived on mission in and that we can live on mission in as well. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, we're gonna start right in verse one and then we're gonna jump down for the sake of time and read some more sections later on. But we're gonna start right at verse one. It says this, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontus, and he, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, because he was a tent maker, as they were, so he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Let's skip down a few verses to verse 18. Paul stayed in Corinth from some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. There he sailed, and he had his hair cut off because of the vow that he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, and when Paul left Priscilla and Aquila, he himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But he left as promised, and he said, I will come back if it is God's will. And then he set sail from Ephesus. I'm going to pray as we get started. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you're doing in our church right now, God. And we just ask that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted high, Father. We pray this morning that you would be completely glorified in everything that we have today. I pray for our relationships, that they would be glorifying to you. I pray for uh, our families, that they would be centered on who you are. And today, as we talk about how to kindle a life that's on mission for you, that you would encourage us, that you would help grow us and show us who you are. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. 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 So as this couple that we're talking about, Aquila and Priscilla, they were early leaders in the church. And they worked closely with Paul, as Paul would call them, his co-workers in Christ. In fact, on one specific occasion, he actually says, they saved my life specifically. He counted them with saving his life. Furthermore, the Bible suggests that without the influence of this couple, the early church would not have made it and certainly have not have made the impact that they did make. And if I can bury the lead a little bit, my goal this morning is this, is if we choose to live a life 
that's exampled or exemplary, just like this couple, that I believe that we can not only have an impact in our church here in Frankfurt, but in Illinois and beyond. However, the vast majority of Christians will not have that impact. The vast majority of Christians will not have the impact that Priscilla and Aquila had. We just won't. Maybe it's not for lack of talent, it's not for lack of anointing, but a lot of times it's for lack of commitment and investment to living a life that's completely sold out for Jesus. If we want to make a lasting impact, we need to make a larger investment. Amen? If we want to make a lasting impact, we need to make a larger investment. What do they say about you when, you're, when you get your 401ks, right? When you get your Roth IRA or whatever it is and you're starting in your 20s and they always tell you, you got time on your side. You know what I mean, right? And I'm like, cool, I'm putting 10 bucks in a month. You know what I mean? I got time on my side, right? But you know that, that, that time is on your side. If you want a larger outcome though, however, you need to make what? A bigger investment into it. It's the same with your relationship with God. If you want to make a lasting impact, we need to make a large investment in our time and in how we live our lives. So this morning, I'm gonna give us three ways that we can follow this couple to live more on mission for God. The first one is this, is we can live on purpose. Live on purpose. Here's the thing about living on purpose. It doesn't always mean you will be perfect. Living on purpose does not mean perfection. And, and this couple is a perfect example of that. The entire reason that they came to Corinth at all that we read in Acts chapter 18, that they met Paul in Corinth, is because their life was a mess, because they had been exiled from their home. In AD 50, the Roman Empire, like I read Claudius, he was an anti-Semitic guy, and he put a decree out that all Jews had to be driven out of Rome. They could no longer be in Rome. So because of this race, they were completely forced out of their home into a foreign land that did not want them either. So think about this. This is not a perfect situation, right? They're getting kicked out, and they're going to a difficult place to live. So what do they do? They find themselves in a new city in Corinth in Greece, and that's where they meet Paul on a second missionary journey. And what do they do? They start up a small business because they're business owners, and they make tents just like Paul does. They start up a business. And, and, it's, and it's basically, Paul is their first employee, right? He works with them, making tents in order to provide. Because what was happening was, on his second missionary journey, the churches were sending Paul out to go and to preach in the synagogues. But they didn't have enough money to send him out, so he had to be, what, bivocational, right? And personally, I relate to this a lot because you know, or you may not know, but during the week, I work 40 hours a week at a, at a, at a job. And so I'm technically bivocational. And I've looked at this before, and to be honest, this morning as I was driving in, I said this to myself, I've actually said out loud, if I was living on purpose better, I wouldn't have to work another job. I've said that. And God corrected me as I was writing this message because he said, that doesn't have anything to do with it. You've missed it. Because what we do in the West and what we do, if I, can, if I can come for you a little bit this morning, what we do specifically in Illinois and in Chicago is we hold our identity extremely tight to our jobs. We hold it extremely tight to our zip code. Extremely tight. Our job is our complete identity. 
So we sit here and we think to ourselves, hey, if I'm going to live on purpose, it's going to be because of what I have. And if my job changes, or if my zip code changes, or if I don't have the house that I always thought I would be, or if I have to move and jip and jive, then I'm not living on purpose. And it actually gives me great hope because arguably one of the wisest, greatest, most biblical people on planet Earth other than Jesus is Paul, and he had to work bivocationally. So it makes me feel a little bit better, like I'm not the one failing, right? But Paul's life wasn't perfect. He had to do what he had to do in order to live on mission for God. The same thing with them. And what I actually realized this morning is if you're in a place where you're like, I'm not working where I want to work, I'm not living where I want to live, I'm not doing what I want to do, and I feel like I'm not living for God right, it doesn't mean that you're not living in purpose. But I feel like God said this, maybe the season you're in, God needs to teach you something that he couldn't teach you unless you were in this specific season. Maybe this difficult situation with your job or with your family or with your home, God's trying to teach you something that he could no otherwise teach you because your eyes wouldn't be open or your ears wouldn't be attentive to him. So right now, if maybe you're in a season where you're building tents and you're like, I don't want to be building tents. I hate building tents. It's labor intensive. I don't want to be doing this. I want to be doing that. What in the world am I doing here? I want to encourage you to look around and ask God, what are you trying to teach me in this season? What are you trying to teach me? They were together for 18 months and they were in this journey of making a tent and building this incredible business. And then Paul says to them, he says, hey, you guys, this is an awesome place. Do you wanna kind of pack it all up and go to Ephesus? You wanna like quit your small business that you probably invested everything you have in and, and head on over to another town with me to preach the gospel where we will most certainly be persecuted and potentially killed? And you know what they say? Yeah, we're in, let's do it, right? They accept his invitation and they go and they help grow the church in Ephesus for a period of years. And then guess what happens? Again, God says to move. And so where do they go? Back to Rome, where they were once exiled from to lead the church in Rome. They're people who lived on purpose. They lived in four of the major cities in the Roman Empire, and they were so essential to the early church growth. Check this out in Romans chapter 16, verse 3 and 4. Says this, Paul's writing, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ. They risked even their lives for me, right? They were displaced from their home. They started a business. They moved twice. They moved to Corinth. They moved to Ephesus, back to Rome. Meanwhile, the whole time, they're living on mission for God. To live in purpose, it doesn't matter what you do, and it doesn't matter where you live. It matters who you're doing it for. And I really think we need to hear that because we are one of the fast-moving states. Listen, I lived in Wisconsin. Service in Wisconsin at the restaurants is so slow, okay? I lived in Minnesota, right? You're like, listen, get over here. I mean, what am I gonna do? Your tip just got cut in half from 20 to 10. You know what I mean, right? This is so slow. Not that I would do that. I wouldn't do that, especially now that we're recording. Definitely wouldn't do that, 20%. But... Like, in Illinois, it's like, oh, we got to go, we got to go. Do you see that, you see that new, new thing I got on my title? You see my new email handle? 
I got a, you know, I got a new number there, right? I got a new doctorate. I got a new this. I got a new that. I, so much of what we're in is like so much connected to our job and our title. And the problem is, I truly believe a lot of times it's a trap of, of, of this world to pull you in to believe your identity is based on this. Because what happens when that eventually goes away? Maybe you live a full career, but what happens when you're retired and you're standing next to your spouse that you've never talked to because you've been working 60 hours a week? And then you're like, well, I guess we got to get to know each other again. Or what happens when that job is cut or when you have to move or have to change circumstances? Our purpose has to be so much greater. Listen, our purpose is essential. At church, what, do I, what are the four things we say? I would hope that I could say them, and you could too, but I'm just going to do that because I don't want to know that I'm not repeating it enough. But the first one is this. I want you to know God. Four things I want you to do at church. To know God, to find freedom, to discover purpose, and make a difference. That is in the four things that I want to happen here at church. Discover your purpose, and it starts with knowing who are you living for? If you're living for God, it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter where you live, you can have a purpose in him. The second one is this, live intentionally. Live intentionally. That's wrong. Live intentionally. I'm, I, I just, you deserve the blame, Jeff. I'm just saying, you know what I mean, right? Sing it. <laughs> wow, sing it. Come on, Tom. Next week, there's going to be a point about that. It's all good. <laughs> Acts 18 is where we're going to read. It says, live intentionally. That's wrong. That's my bad. Acts 18 is where we're going to be, though. We're going to be reading 24 through 26, the verses. It says this. Meanwhile, check this out. A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man and with the, through the knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak, check this out, boldly in the synagogues when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him into their home, and they explained the way of God more adequately. So Apollos is this young leader. You've probably heard about him. If you've read through the book of Acts, he's this young leader. He was like this passionate fire preacher. He'd preach so well, people would come. There would be such big crowds. In fact, Paul says even a little bit that he's jealous of the way that Apollos preached because he preached so well, the crowds just came in. Like every time he started preaching, there was like a revival happening, right? So Apollos is this extremely talented speaker. He speaks fervently, and, but the problem was, like so many young leaders, he wasn't always the best with the theology, right? He got the things to kind of connect and sound really good, and maybe, you know, just every one of his points started with the same letter because that's, you know, Taekwondo for preaching, you know what I mean, right? It's like, it's, it's right, like maybe he did that, but his theology was a little off. He lacked substance, so what did this couple do? Leaders in the church, what did they do? Let's read it again, verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him to their home and explained the way of God more adequately. They were probably listening to this message like, man, this guy's got some fire. You know, like he's, he can, wow, he can preach. And then he says that one thing and they're like, oh, 
You know what I mean? You've been in services. I know if you've been in church long enough, and then all of a sudden the, the pastor says that one thing, and you're like, oh, not sure that's true, right? You've been there. Don't lie. You know, like, right? Like, you know what I'm talking about. And let me tell you, it's so easy for us in the church to critique others. We can be like, oh, man, that guy speaking or that person leading worship or that person leading the kids or that person opening the door, that greed or whatever. It's so easy for us to think, you know what, I could do such a better job or I'll straighten them out. Let me just tell them what to do. If I just told them what to do, they would know what to do, right? Or maybe you think it's a lost cause, so I'm just going to ignore them. It's easy for us to make quick assumptions and judgments about people we don't really know. How, how well do you truly know the people that you attend church with? Truly. It's so easy for us to make a quick assumption and be like, oh, they're doing this because of this, because of this, and because of that. And I know. But we don't. That's not the way of Jesus. Here's what I know. No one grows in depth of their relationship with the Lord by accident. No one. All of a sudden, you don't just start coming to church and you're like, I mean, I'm a really deep Christian now. It's just not, that's just not how it works. You, you don't grow by osmosis, right? It doesn't work out that way. Check out what they did. They invited him over for dinner. They didn't approach him in the hallway, like, Apollos, get over here, get over here, right? They didn't send a text. And then they responded with just K, the letter K. Can we abolish that? Let's stop doing that. You know what I mean, right? They didn't send that. They didn't send a long-worded email, a strongly-worded email. No. They didn't write a letter. They didn't make any side comments. They didn't start gossiping about everybody. They invited him over for dinner. You cannot be intentional from a distance. You can't be intentional with a 10-minute conversation. You cannot be intentional from a distance. How many of us know when you think about your best friend, like think about that best friend that you hang out with, right? There had to be some times when you're hanging out with that person at the beginning of your relationship and you're like, this is awkward. You know, like this is weird, right? Like this is, uh, oh, did they really just say that? Or we're at dinner and it's, what do I say? What do I do, right? Like maybe even your marriage relationship. There were definitely some times where it's awkward, but guess what? You push through those times, and now they're their best friend, right? You're like, you remember that time when we went here and, and we didn't talk and it was really awkward? That was great, right? Relationship takes time. It takes time. We need to invite people over for dinner just to get to know them. For no other purpose, just to get to know them, just to see who they are. We need to invite people over, and we need to do this. Tell me your story. And then we need to stop talking and just listen to their story. That's what they did with Apollos. They, I'm sure they didn't just have one meeting with him. I'm sure they didn't sit down and as the hummus was being passed, they were like, so that one scripture you used, like, that's not, that's not how it worked. They invested in him. And he continued to grow and became one of the most dynamic preachers in the early church period. They don't get a line item because of his, the end of his sermon, people aren't like, wow, thanks, you, you're an awesome couple. You really invested in him. They don't get that. But they did invest in him. And they made such a great investment into who he was as a leader. 
Let me ask you this question. Do you live intentionally? If you can't remember the last time you had a conversation that wasn't about you or something you were interested in, then I would ask, are you sure that you're living intentionally? Let's change that. This week, I want to encourage you to invest and invite someone from your church, from our church, or from your life over. Just ask them how they're doing. Invite them over for dinner. Go out to lunch, right? Like, like, like let's go out to food together. Ask them this question and ask them to tell you your story. And then when they try to deflect it back to you, just deflect it right to them. You know what I mean? Just play that Uno reverse card, right? And you're like, so how are you? Well, how are you? So what about that? And you just keep asking questions. Let's invest into some people. Ask them about their walk with God, their family, their prayer life, their soul. See what happens. Who can you invest in intentionally? If we're gonna live on purpose, we need to specifically look at who can I invest in? Who can I care for? Who can I pray for? Because maturity in Christianity is not about me. It's about we. Point number three is this, live in hospitality. Live in hospitality. 1 Corinthians 16, 19 says this, Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. So this couple, right, they didn't have buildings like we had. They ran a house church, okay? Meaning that the service, the Bible study, the Sunday school, the Wednesday night prayer, the mops meeting happened at their house, right? Meaning that modern comfort that all of us feel where we don't want anybody to know where we live and you certainly better not knock on my door, right? That wasn't a thing for them. How many of us would be super happy if all of a sudden next week on Thursday I just knocked on your door and I was like, so here's the deal. We had a pipe burst and we're going to meet for church in a house. Can we meet at your house? Immediately you're like, whoa, 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 the bathroom needs to be remodeled. We certainly haven't cleaned. The laundry needs to be done. We need a new couch, right? Like there's a, there's a whole to-do list of stuff. You're like, we got to open a Home Depot credit card. I mean, I need some new things, right? You're like, no, I don't want anybody in my house. It's a huge commitment. This would have been a commonplace where people would have just dropped in and be like, hey, you guys got any food? You want to? Yeah, come on in. If, we, if someone needed a room, they had one. If someone needed a meal, they sat down. If someone needed prayer, they came over. That is what they lived in. Radical hospitality is something that's so foreign to us. And I'm talking about myself too. It's so foreign to us. Like, I think how many of us, if we we're honest, and you don't have to wait, raise your hand. Please, don't, actually, don't raise your hand. How many of us, if we're honest, we're thinking, I never want anyone from church to come to my house ever, right? You're thinking, you've probably thought that before. Like, I'm never, I, that's not what I want. I think like a lot of times when we think about biblical hospitality, we think it's like, hey, I'm walking in and how are you? Good morning. You know, on the way out, see you next week. You know what I mean? Like, that's some good hospitality. I smiled, 
right? Like I said hello, I, I acknowledged them. We think that's hospitality. But I think it's a little deeper than that. Check out the story of the Good Samaritan, right? The Good Samaritan is walking down the road and I'm just gonna share just a little bit of it, but, and he finds a man who's beaten bloody. He picks him up, puts him on his own donkey, takes him to the hospital, pays all of his bills. To be honest, I know almost everyone, everybody in the room, I truly believe that's something all of us would do. I don't have a shadow of doubt in my mind that if you came upon someone in that situation, you would do the same thing. But let me ask you this. What if instead of taking him to the hospital, you brought him to your own house? Would you still do it? What if the place of healing was not some distant place where you could escape from? What if the place of healing was around your table? Would you be comfortable with that? Because that's what the early church was built on. Radical hospitality. Radical hospitality that says, I don't care that the laundry's piling up. We got somebody who needs to come in. You need a room, I got it. You need a meal, I'm here for you. You need prayer, come on over. The door's always open. We need to take God at our word, at his word, and live this radical community, radical hospitality. I believe this is something that we need to grow in in America as the church, but also specifically in our region. I think we gotta step out of our comfort zone. Hospitality means to host. So I, I wanted to give you a quick game plan. I don't wanna just talk and talk in circles and talk at you. I wanna give you a quick game plan. So you can go ahead and throw this up. Here's a quick little game plan for inviting people over and living out radical hospitality. So here it is. Collect and file simple and expensive recipes, desserts and meals, right? Taco night. Come on, who doesn't love some tacos? Come on, somebody. Shout me down when I'm preaching good. I'm going to tacos after this. I don't care who's coming, right? Make a list of people who would be encouraged by your offer of hospitality. Make a plan to invite your first guests and don't wait. Do it soon. Start simple. Spontaneously inviting someone over after church is a great beginning. Or have specific days in your calendar where you work out. These are days that I'm open. Anybody can come over for dinner. Pray. Pray that God would give you joy in demonstrating hospitality to others. Come on, somebody. You might need to add it to your daily prayer list. God, give me joy in being a hospitable person. Remember that memories require time and energy to create. Time and energy. You cannot be intentional from a distance. You cannot be hospitable by yourself. Live on purpose to nurture a heart of biblical hospitality that sincerely communicates, come back soon. Come back whenever you want. That's a simple game plan that you can do. And maybe it's not applicable for you right now because of your family, because of your home, because of your situation. I get it. Maybe it's not applicable for you. But is there a coffee shop you can meet at? You say, well, I don't have any money. There's nothing I can do with money. Is there a park that you can walk at? Is there a way that you can get in relationship with other people, offer hospitality, have a conversation, connect with other people? Hospitality in homes one theologian said this, hospitalities in homes around tables changed the pagan Roman empire into an empire of Christ followers. 
Technology won't change the hearts of people. Politics won't change the hearts of people. Money won't change the hearts of people. Community is the only way we can invite people into the way of Jesus. I'm going to have Jason come up to the keys at this time, but I'm going to read this thing from these two theologians, Mark Husbands and Jeffrey Greeman. Here's what they say about hospitality in the ancient faith. It says this, Hospitality had a central role in the early church as believers forged a new identity in a hostile culture. So this is in a hostile culture. They lived in hospitality. As Christians shared meals and resources, they opened their lives and homes to strangers. They formed communities that transcended and changed conventional understandings of households and expressed new understandings of social relations and political identities. The outside world noticed and wondered what this odd assortment of people was doing because they acted as if they were truly a family. This odd assortment of people acted as if they were truly a family. This morning, I want to invite you to live a life that's committed like Aquila and Priscilla, a life that's full of purpose no matter where you live or what you do, a life that's in full of intentionality, investment into other people, and a life that practices hospitality in your faith. Your purpose is to share the gospel of Jesus no matter what. A life that's full of intentionality doesn't let conversations pass. You invest into the people around you. You let go of your pride. You pick up the call. You invest in your community. You forgive. You don't hold on to bitterness. You don't gossip. You live intentionally. Our love is proven in this, that we will practice radical hospitality. This couple had one of the greatest impacts on the early church, from Corinth to Ephesus to Rome. They were exemplary followers of Jesus. The same invitation is being presented to you. I believe that God is presenting this opportunity for you to make such a greater impact than you realize. I really believe this. Just to speak to us as a church, I feel like right now, where we're at, we're on the verge of God doing something special. And I feel like God is asking, and I feel like the Holy Spirit is asking, can I trust you? I really feel like that's what he's asking. Can I trust you with the people that I want to flood into this church? To the people that are hurting, that are broken, that need healing, that need pain, that need meals, that need things? Can I trust you? Can I trust you with the development of the young leaders of the next generation who are going to lead the next next church movement? Can I trust you with that? Can I trust you in your current job? Can I trust you in this place? What will you do with what's in your hand? I really feel like that's what God is asking us. And that's what I'm asking you this morning. When we started three years ago, we were a handful of people and we've continued to grow. I'll never forget on that first Sunday, we had 11 people in the room. We've worked here for three years now. Look what God has done. What could he do? Great impacts take great investments. And I'm asking you to invest in this place. 
I'm asking you to give us your heart, to give us your home, to give us this mission to follow Jesus. On earth as it is in heaven is what Jesus says. On earth as it is in heaven, that's what our call is. In Frankfurt as it is in heaven. In Illinois as it is in heaven. I'm gonna ask with heads bowed, eyes closed all over this room if you're here. And you say, you know what? I wanna join you on that journey, I'm in. I'm in to live on purpose. I'm in to live intentionally. I'm in to live for Jesus with everything that I have. I'm in to practice hospitality. You need a small group, just tell me where. You need me to do something, I'm in. Come on, somebody. If that's you in the room and you say, you know what, I'm just gonna show just God right now. God, I'm in. I wanna live on purpose. I wanna live practically. I wanna live on mission. If that's you in this room, I'm just gonna ask you to lift your hand up just so I know who I'm praying for. We're gonna pray. Father, I thank you today for this church. I thank you for all you've done in the past few years and all that you're going to continue to do. God, we're here and we want you to know that you can trust us. We're gonna invest. We're gonna live on purpose. We're gonna live intentionally. We're gonna practice hospitality. We're gonna practice prayer. We're gonna practice Holy Spirit being filled in this place, God. God, I pray right now that you would embolden us, that you would encourage us, that we would rekindle the fire in our relationships at home and we would rekindle the fire in our relationships at work, in our community, and in our family. Jesus, we just ask that you would be made famous. You do deserve the glory. No one else here does. This is your church. We believe in you so much that that's all we care about. You lead. We ask that you would speak. God, I pray that you would give clear direction to those in this room. You would give clear direction. What should I do? Where should I go? I pray that those, if they make that list, of people that they want to intentionally invest in and practice hospitality, many people would pop into mind. And that when they asked them to come over, they'd say yes. Because we know that you're here, God. I pray for relationships to be healed. I pray for families to be restored. And I pray that you would have your way in Frankfurt as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And if you did, make sure to share it and subscribe to stay up to date with all of our new messages. Thanks for listening. God bless.